runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 117 with guest Phil Peary, recorded Thursday, July 2nd, 2009. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. You're listening to Run As Radio. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. How you doing? I'm well, and it's been a while since we got together. I know for the listeners, it's just been a steady stream of shows, but we got ahead of the game for a while there, didn't we? That's right. We we tend to do these things in waves as best we can. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, I think a month went by. We didn't have to record any shows, so it's, I feel like I I missed you, buddy. Yeah, I miss you too. You know, it's <laughs> a, <laughs> we're not doing our regular, uh, at least you know, pretty regular set of set of recordings and calls. So for people that don't know, we you know we. Uh, yeah, you know, we will try to schedule guests in in blocks because uh, it's really the best way to produce the best shows, right? Absolutely. And and uh, you know it, it works out really well that way from a planning perspective. And then we just release the shows every Wednesday. And so now the coffers are empty, and it's time to fill them back up again. That's right. So here we go. Yeah, let me introduce our guest. Phil Peary is a member of the Microsoft Field Engineering Group in the New York metro area, and has been with the company for five and a half years. Phil is an Active Directory Windows Platform and Performance Engineer and provides Microsoft customers with services such as ADRAPs and teaches a number of workshops, including the Active Directory Troubleshooting and Windows 2008 Networking. Passionate about delivering the message on 64-bit Windows and Windows 2008, Phil has been instrumental in driving the development of Windows 2008 Chalk Talks, delivering the talks to many customers in the New York area, showing the value and the new features of the 2008 platform. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, guys. Howdy. How how you doing? What, what's what's a ADRAP or ADRAP or however, how do you say that? What is that? Uh, pr- pronounced ADRAP. ADRAP stands for Active Directory Risk Assessment Program, and it's ah, essentially okay. a service that we deliver to our customers. Uh, it's a, a detailed analysis of a deployed running Active Directory, checking how it how it conforms to best practices, things like that. Cool. Really? Now I had not heard of that before, but we're going to have to talk about that sometime in the future. That's, that sounds pretty <laughs> darn interesting. Speaking of shows, that's a show. I'd like to know more about that as well because today's show, I think we want to focus on this whole 32-bit versus 64-bit uh, operating systems, right? Okay. Yep. Absolutely. And so, uh, question number one is: Should I be running anything other than 64-bit? Isn't isn't 64-bit the way? Well, listen, um, um, my, my personal opinion is 64-bit is here. It's been here for a while, right? Um, you, any new machine that you buy from, whether it be an Intel processor or an AMD processor, is 64-bit now, right? right. Intel sure. and AD, sure. AMD don't even make 32-bit processors anymore. So from the perspective of um, you know, what you run, it's there, Right. And um, there are substantial performance gains from from 32-bit to the 64-bit space. So, so just by running the other operating system, we're going to get a substantial gain. Sure. Yeah. If, if you if you deploy a 32-bit uh, version of Windows, whether it be 2003 or 2008, hopefully it's 2008, right? Right. 
on, on a machine that is 64-bit capable, and you take that same machine and you deploy the 64-bit version of the operating system with 64-bit drivers and, you know, full support for the 64-bit OS, right. the performance will be definitely on, on the order of 30 to 40% better than what you get from the 30, 32-bit version of the OS. So can you explain in layman's English, you know, like uh, just sort of think of me as a really below average guy and explain to me why is that true? What what are the real world reasons? Where do I really see the performance increases and where is it maybe kind of the same? Well, so f- from from the perspective of um, just the way the operating systems um, are designed, so a 32-bit OS basically deals with information in 32-bit kind of bunches, right? Right. It's, you know, uh, um, what the processor is designed to handle and the way the operating system is compiled to run. Okay. When you move from 32 bits to 64 bits, the, the code of the operating system, as long as it's fully 64 bit, um, um, capable, right? Because you can run 32 bit applications on a 64 bit Windows box. But as long as everything is 64 bits across the board, Basically, you're, you're able to process twice the, the processor word um, data at any given clock cycle. So right from just the change from 32-bit to 64-bit hardware, you, you automatically are getting a, um, a larger uh, amount of data that you can execute at any given time. From the perspective of memory, and this is really, in my opinion, it's probably where you gain the, the, the biggest bang for the buck, is with Windows 32-bit, you basically have a 4-gig cap in the amount of addressable memory space that you have, right? right if you, yeah. you know, 2 bits to the 30-second power, you know, fuzzy math, you know, that's roughly, uh, you know, 4096, right? 4-gig, uh, right? With 64-bits, right? The, the theoretical memory space is 16 exabytes. I mean, it's huge, right? Now you show me a machine that supports that much physical memory and, you know, I have a bridge that I can sell you in Brooklyn, but, you know, they, they just don't right. exist yet. But from the perspective of the, the, um, virtualized memory space and what you have available to you there, the, the differences are huge. Um, for example, in 32-bit windows, um, we basically divide the memory space up into two chunks, right? Uh, from 0 to 2 gig is kernel space. That's private to the operating system, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we have the page pool and the non-page pool memory pools that the operating system manages. From 2 gig to 4 gig is user mode memory space, right? This is where applications execute. You know, this is where your notepad runs, where right. SQL Server runs, where Active Directory runs. When um, when you go from 32 bits to 64 bit, that processor address space jumps from um, two gigabytes to eight terabytes. So slight, slight difference. So, there. so it's it's a huge amount of processing room for processes to run in. Okay, so 
specifically from just from the memory perspective, you've got this huge amount of address space that you can you can uh, now run your processes in. If you throw the hardware at it, then you have that capability. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? You you have to you know you have to have a machine that supports that much physical memory. Sure. I think right now you know you you could get you know machines with uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes, but nobody's producing a box that has you know that sixteen exabyte. Sure. You know, memory in it. You know, it would just be too, you know, too expensive, I suppose. But in the, but in the real world, like, you know, what you might think of as, I don't know what, maybe you could call it a commodity level server in today's right. day and age, that if you had 16 gigs or 32 gigs of RAM in it, it sounds like you're going to be able to do a lot more with a 64-bit architecture than you can with a 32-bit architecture. Absolutely. Um, take uh, case in point, an Active Directory domain controller, Okay. Okay. On an Active Directory, the main process that makes a domain controller a domain controller is LSAS.exe, right? This right. is the process that is responsible for handling um, um, network requests to the database. It's, it also caches the database into memory. It basically is managing Active Directory for you. In 32-bit windows, if you use the... Um, standard memory model, right, where you're 2 gig and 2 gig, 2 gig for kernel, 2 gig for user mode, that basically means that the most LSAS can cache into memory at any one point is about a gig and a half or so of Active Directory data. If your Active Directory database is bigger than a gig and a half, that means to satisfy any LDAP lookup request, you're going to disk, which as we know, is way slower than if the data is cached in memory. Right. Sure. Sure. So if you take that same environment and you put it on a 64-bit machine, and you have lots and lots of physical memory available to get that Active Directory database cached into memory, Active Directory performance is greatly enhanced by that. Right. Interesting. And we, and we do have customers. We have a lot of customers that actually run with really big Active Directory databases on 32-bit hardware, and it is a performance issue. So, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of variables that go into, you know, how many users slash groups or how many objects are in your directory. But is there sort of like a maybe just a big paintbrush kind of number that says, you know, if your organization is larger than X, then chances are you're going to benefit from doing this? I mean, well, would you ultimately, have a generic number? Ultimately, it comes down to how, how big physically the LDAP database is, the ntds.dit file. Right now, there, like you said, there are some variables there, um, but um, generally, if if you boot your your domain controllers without a switch called 3GB, which we'll talk about in a minute, okay, um, so that you have a a two gig user mode addressable memory space, you can cache the LSAS process can cache up to about 1.4 or so gig of Active Directory data into memory. And right. the reason why it can't go to the full 2 gig is because the process has to have a little bit of headroom to actually process requests. So it's going to use a little bit of that remaining sure. memory to, to actually actively process LDAP requests, right? Now, what you can do in some cases is you can use the 3GB switch on a domain controller um, with some caveats that basically what, what 3GB does is it takes that four gig address space and it divides it a little differently. Basically what happens is you, you add three GB to your boot.ini and the kernel memory space is which is normally two gig is reduced to one gig. So the kernel has to squeeze into a gig of memory. Okay? Okay. 
that extra gig of RAM is given to user mode processing. And of course, LSAS Active Directory is a user mode process, right? So we can, we can now give LSAS a little more headroom to cache data into, right? Now we actually only recommend you do this under certain circumstances, right? And the circumstances are if you have a full physical four gig of memory in the, in the domain controller, and if your Active Directory database is bigger than a gig and a half. And at that point, if you decide to throw that switch and you meet that criteria, if you decide to put that switch in boot.ini, mm-hmm. you basically are allowing LSAS to cache up to about two and a half gig of Active Directory database, right? Now, what do you do? So, so here's, here's the negative effect to using that 3GB switch, right? Uh, because there is a bit of a performance implication. When we reduce the kernel size down to a gig, one of the things that happens is the page pool and the non-page pool caches, which are uh, memory caches that are in, in the kernel address space, are mm-hmm. cut by about half. Okay? Sure. Within the, the, um, within the um, kernel, there is a thing called a page table. Okay? The page table contains page table entries. Basically, what a page table entry does is it tracks every every process that has a memory allocation that's currently active and what that um, address space is, right? The the um, physical hexadecimal address of the memory, right? For for that given process, so that we know who's got what in memory, right? And the reason why we have to do that is, let's say you, you fire up Notepad and you, you know, you're, you're going to go down to the local computer store and you're going to, you're going to buy some memory and a hard drive, right? So you, you're typing up your shopping list, right? As soon as Notepad fires up, he requests memory from the memory manager in order to store his process private data, your, your sure. shopping list, right? Right. When he, when he does that request, a page table entry is created with the physical address of that page of memory that is being being allocated to Notepad, okay? So Notepad knows where his memory is, knows where his data is as a function of the page table entry. Let's say you you type away, you type away, and then you stop and you take a break and you go out to lunch or what have you. After a period of, of, of time, there's a process called the working set trimmer that is keeping track, and this is a, a component of the memory manager, that is keeping track of what every uh, process is doing in regard to accessing their active data, right, their, the, those pages of memory. Mm-hmm. If, the, if the notepad process stops actively accessing a page of memory for a given period of time, I believe it's about 10 minutes or so, um, what will happen is, um, the memory manager will say, hey, Notepad, you're not using that memory right now. The LSAS process needs that memory to cache Active Directory database into memory. I'm going to take that memory away from you, and I'm going to put your data on the page file. Okay? Gotcha. Well, actually, first it goes to something called the modified list, right? The modified list is, a, is another area in memory that if you come back um, to Notepad after, uh, after this, this operation happens and we move to the modified list, we don't have to go all the way out to the page file to retrieve the data. It's, it's a little bit faster. What happens is we move that data to the modified list, and we update the page table entry to reflect that the data is no longer in main memory for that process, right? We have to keep track of where the data is, right? 
once it sits in the modified list for a period of time and isn't asked for again or isn't touched, then it goes out to the page file. When it goes out to the page file, we again update the page table entry for Notepad, and we say this data is now on the page file. Right? You come back from lunch, and you start typing away on your on your uh, shopping list again. Right? You're going to add a, a laser printer or something to your shopping list, and Notepad goes to access that page of memory, and it's gone. It's it's no longer there. He goes, hey hey memory manager, where's my data? The memory manager goes to the page table entry list and says, wait a minute. Notepad, your data is out in the page file. Let me go retrieve it for you. The memory manager goes, retrieves that page of data, puts it back into memory, probably in a f- different physical location, updates the page table entry, tells Notepad, hey, your data is here now, dismisses the, the exception that Notepad sent to the memory manager, and Notepad's able to continue on his merry way using that data. Now, Here's why I go through this lengthy description of this, right? Just by that description, you can, you can see how important a page table entry is to the normal operation of a Windows machine, right? It's a, sure. it's a critical part of the memory management of, of Windows, right? What happens is, is when you throw that 3GB switch, whether it be on a workstation or a domain controller or a SQL server or what have you, what happens is, like I said, the kernel memory gets reduced down to a gig. When we reduce that kernel memory down to a gig, we, we um, cut our non-page and our page pool memory pools approximately in half. The data structure that holds our page table doesn't get reduced by half. It actually gets reduced much more aggressively, something on the order of like four times more aggressively. So what happens is if you have a Windows machine that boots and doesn't run anything with 2 gig of RAM in it or 4 gig of RAM in it, you may have up to 200,000 free page table entries when that machine boots, right? That same machine with 3 GB may start with only 40,000 page table entries. Yeah, and page table entries are part of every memory allocation. Now, what happens is if you go below 10,000 free page table entries, you're kind of getting into that uh, warning zone, right? You're like, you're like that center fielder who's running to catch a fly ball. And uh-huh. instead of, you know, keeping your eye on the center field fence, you're watching the, the ball coming, coming at you, right? If you go below 8,000 free page table entries, your, your right foot has just hit the warning track in center field. If you go below 6,000 free page table entries, you've just run into the center field wall, right? And basically, you're out of a critical memory resource on that machine. Right. And what we, what we typically see is when you have page table exhaustion, what we see is we see operating system instability, and sometimes the machine will just hang, right? Um, this is one of the reasons why when you are looking at 3GB, when I go to customers that are considering implementing it or have already implemented it, I always make sure that they have some kind of instrumentation on that machine that's monitoring their free page Keep table entries because it's critical for that reason. Now, when you get to a 64-bit box, page table entries, you know, for, for the page table entry uh, address space, you have a 128 gig available to you. So it's very simply no longer an issue. Right, so 64-bit architecture and the 64-bit version of Windows running that really solves all the problems that we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes, right? Exactly, exactly. And and to be quite honest with you, the whole 3GB um, methodology 
because of the huge address space in 64-bit windows, simply right. doesn't exist. You don't have to do it because you've got all this memory. Phil, the, the question I have here is, is this is only going to work if I have more memory. If I take exactly the same hardware, both with four gigs of RAM, run 32-bit versus 64-bit, don't aren't I going to have problems with 64-bit just because the, the pointers are all bigger and I don't have any more memory to play with? Um, good question. Um, basically, uh, bear in mind that Windows is a demand page virtual memory operating system, okay? So when you boot a Windows box, he thinks he uh, a Windows uh, 32-bit box, whether or not you have 256 meg of memory in it or 4 gig of memory in it, is going to think that virtually it has 4 gig of memory in it. Right. Same concept applies with 64-bit Windows, okay? We think we have that whole address space, and because the address space is virtualized, and by using the page file, we can make applications think that they have an 8-terabyte process uh, address space, right? So any given process that's 64 bits is going to think it's got that 8 terabytes of, of, of memory available. And depending on what it needs to do from a processing perspective, it may, um, you know, the address ranges are going to all be virtualized and there, there will be a little bit of paging going on potentially, right? Um, what, one of the, and speaking of the page file, um, what, one of the things that is also important is the, the more memory you give a Windows machine, whether it be 32 bit or 64 bit, the less you the, the smaller a page file you really technically need right right because if mm-hmm. you can get if you can get all of your data into physical memory and all your processes into physical memory nothing to page yeah. nothing has to page out right and what what goes to the page file anyway process data right, right. so for right. example uh, going back to our notepad example right if you're typing away and and you have to swap that data out to the page file does notepad.exe get paged out no, it doesn't because it's already on disk, right, in the form of right. the exe. So we don't actually have to page out executables and DLLs. We only page out um, process private data when it needs to be on demand, right? Makes sense. Um, so so hopefully that answers your, your 32-bit versus 64-bit question in regard to um, um, memory and uh, with machines that have the same amount of physical RAM. And, and obviously the thing to do as soon as you go to 64-bit is add more memory. But I'm just yeah. concerned that I'm not going to get much benefit if I don't add more memory. Exactly. There, there will be a benefit to it um, um, from, a, from a performance perspective. Right. One of the things with Windows is it always runs better with more memory than yes. when you give it. That's true with 32-bit. It's true with 64-bit. Sure. Absolutely. The 3BG switch worries me because once you get that pool down to 40,000 and you know that 10,000 is a threshold that means that you know at the 25% mark you're all you're in trouble already it just seems like such a small number yes in in what cases is this switch actually a good idea because if if i have a program that's using that much memory it's probably using an awful lot of handles as well uh, true um so there are some circumstances that um it it can be of of uh benefit um, for example, we talked a little bit about the um, Active Directory database size, right? right? So if your database is physically between 1.4 and 2.5 gig, and that machine is only a domain controller, in other words, it's not you know wearing multiple hats, it's not doing double and triple duty, 
then, and you have four physical gig of, of memory in it for a 32-bit domain controller, yeah, we, you know, it, it can be helpful, right? right? Because our, our, our idea is to cache as much of the Active Directory database into physical memory as possible, right? That's, that's the way we ensure the, the um, fastest access to LDAP, right? If you are less than 1.4 gig, then PT, uh, uh, 3GB is of, of no real value to you. If your database is bigger than 2.5 gig, then your answer is a 64-bit domain. Right. Right. So take, take now, a look at one, the file one of the and it'll give you an idea. One of the things that um, I do like to recommend, and I think I mentioned this once before, is if you do choose to throw the 3GB switch, make sure that you're doing some monitoring of that um, available free page table entry counter in Perfmon because sure. you do have to keep an eye on it, right? Um, one of the things I did, I did some benchmarking for one of our customers specifically on this topic. And we had a 4-gig machine. We threw 3GB in it. And um, one of the things we did was we monitored different processes. And when their system state backups kicked off, we observed um, approximately 18,000 page table entries get consumed by the NT backup process. Ouch. Like that. Yeah, because what's what's the backup process doing? It's caching stuff into memory to to go either to a to a tape or to a, a backup file. Right. It's allocating a lot of memory, and boom, sure. it just it ate up the page table entry list. So you do have to be cognizant of of that particular counter. Some other things that may um, benefit from three GB is Exchange servers love that extra gig of memory. Right. right. So right. so do SQL servers. Right. Um, if you if you want to slow down your uh, Windows XP or Windows Vista workstation, you can certainly put 3GB on on those operating systems. Yeah, I've, I've tried <laughs> but that. But it's not going to buy you much. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it, it strikes me that uh, this switch makes sense on single purpose machines because more yep. programs running is going to eat up handles really quickly. Correct. Uh, and and they like said tightly monitored servers that they, it's just doing Active Directory, it's just doing Exchange, but it. As soon as I talk about Exchange or SQL Server, I think the answer is 64-bit and 8 gigs of RAM at a minimum. Yeah, anyway, yeah, exactly. Well, and with, you have to with Exchange now, right? Yeah, actually, uh, the, the new version of Exchange is 64-bit only, I believe, right? right well, not being an right. Exchange guy, um, you know, I, I believe there's a 32-bit version for testing purposes, but the, the production version, I believe, is 64-bit. Um, SQL Server, I think we still do both 64 and 32-bit. Um, but I, I agree 100%. If you're running a SQL box, if you're running an Exchange box, and if you're running an Active Directory domain controller, I always like to recommend 64-bit. Um, not not only because of the memory um, benefits, but also because, also remember, all of our um, I.O. drivers, network and disk drivers, are now 64-bit as well. So they also perform much better than their 32-bit counterparts as well. So along with getting... You know, the big memory space and the uh, larger processor capability, you know, the, the, the ability to process twice the, the processor word data at one, one clock cycle. You also get greatly improved disk and network I.O. So there, there's, you know, wins almost all the way around here. There's another side to this driver problem. I mean, one of the things is sometimes cust- uh, companies don't have 64-bit drivers. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. And for 64-bit windows, the drivers have to be... 64-bit digitally signed in order right. to be able to be installed. Right. 
I, I have found that generally when they do have 60 foot drivers, they're pretty good quality because yes. they do have to go through the, the signing process. That, that is correct. Yeah. And that, that definitely allows us to make sure that there's no memory leaks, that the drivers are compiled correctly, all, all that. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, advantage in that respect. But in, like I said, all the hardware runs 64-bit these days. The The question is, uh, I think people get confused around whether 32-bit apps run well on 64-bit OSs or not. Uh, what's your experience been? I mean, obviously, Active Directory, if you're in 64-bit, it just runs in 64-bit. That's if, correct. If you've got custom-built apps, you know, the stuff that's built at .NET and so forth, how well does it behave running on the 64-bit OS? Well, of course, it's it's always going to be an application-by-application application, um, evaluation, right? You do have to do a little bit of testing first. Right. But my experience, um, both both on my home network and out in the field with, with customers, is that most 32-bit applications run very well with, with um, little or minor modifications, you know, to, to run properly on a 64-bit version of the OS. Um, and, you know, again, uh, performance is, uh, you know, greatly enhanced. Now, there is the uh, uh, whole 64-bit to 32-bit um, um, thunking process where we, when we run a 32-bit application, we do have to do the um, memory ad- address space emulation. Right. Um, they call it Windows on Windows. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the initial startup of the application might be impacted a little bit, but it's still, you know, in most cases, I found that most 32-bit applications run pretty well. It, one of the things I've noticed, I'm, I'm throwing my developer hat on right now, uh, <laughs> in the .NET world is that the default configuration for compiling a .NET app is is marked as compile any, which basically says if you're running on a 64-bit OS, run in 64-bit mode. If you're running a 32-bit, run in a 32-bit, which is very compatible, right. but often we haven't done any testing in 64-bit mode. And so when you do that, stuff can break. And the minor modification to make is just to set the app to say, always run as 32-bit. I don't care what operating system you're running on. Then our testing is all valid, and it runs in Windows and Windows mode, and you don't have any uh, compatibility problems that way. Right. right. The, the Windows on Windows process is, it does a pretty good job of, of making sure that those 32-bit apps run well. Absolutely. And, and the main thing is just making sure you know you're running a 32-bit rather than running a 64-bit. To me, it seems silly to run in 64-bit mode if you're not going to address large chunks of memory. If you if the 32-bit space, if that 4-gig space is enough, make it a 32-bit app. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, that means, you know, talking to developers about it. But just between us IT pros, it's <laughs> a property setting. And then yeah. a recompile. It's a five-second fix. Mm-hmm. And you talk about low-hanging things that just decrease grief. That's a yep. good one. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, and the, you know, there's been a lot of work in in ensuring that 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 compatibility is there, right? And, and it is. It's solid. It it's solid. It works. Um, I've never had a 32-bit application fail on on my 64-bit OSs, and I run a lot of odd 32-bit applications on on a couple of my 64-bit machines in my home lab. So never had a problem. And is there any question that we should always run all our Hyper-V machines as 64-bit? Well, uh, basically, if if you're running Hyper-V on 2008, that's your option, right? That's your only option, right? You've got to run the Hyper-V service that has to run on a 64-bit machine. won't run on 32-bits. 
You can run a 32-bit guest OS, but the Hyper-V box itself, the, the host machine, has to be 64-bit. Right. All right, Phil, uh, any final words? We're about out of time. I know. I enjoyed talking to you guys. Um, um, the one thing I'd like to say is uh, to all your listeners is kick the tires. 64-bit is here. It's, it's good stuff. Um, and uh, one of the things, if you, if you want to do, contact your Microsoft TAM to have a PFE come in and, you know, maybe do a demo. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That's what we're here for. He bet. We're here to help. Phil Peary, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.